Welcome to day 164 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today complete the mysterious book of Job. We're reading chapters 40 through 42. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. As chapter 40 opens, God's first speech to Job comes to a conclusion, and he offers Job the opportunity to respond. Job's first response to God is very brief. It begins with Job's acknowledgement that he is indeed of small account. Now that God has actually appeared to him, he's even more aware that he needs a mediator. In the light of the complexity of God's creation, Job is humbled and reduced to silence. He puts his hand over his mouth. However, Job is not yet ready to give up on the question of suffering. Job would like answers for his own suffering and for what appears to be a lack of justice in the world. God's second speech begins at verse 6. Again, God avoids addressing Job's questions directly. Instead, God attacks Job's questioning of the divine system of justice. In the same way Job is ultimately ignorant of the complexity of creation, so too Job is ignorant about the complexity of justice and all the relationships at work in the universe. In essence, God says to Job, if you can't understand the physical universe, how can you claim to understand the moral one? And if you are ignorant about morality, how can you accuse me of being unjust? All you are doing is trying to make me look bad in order to justify your own concept of justice. If Job is so critical of the way God is running the universe, perhaps he should try to run things for a day. Of course, this idea is absurd. More than simply overwhelming Job, this speech points to the mystery of God's freedom. At some ultimate level, the complex activity of God is far more challenging and complex than any human mind can conceive. At verse 15, God's speech takes an odd and interesting turn. God draws Job's attention to two great creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan. Most scholars assume that the two creatures described in the text are known to us today as the hippopotamus and the crocodile. But in Job, they are expanded to almost mythic proportions. It's important for contemporary readers to remember that there were no zoos or museums in the ancient world. The average reader of Job had likely never even seen either of these two unique animals. All they knew of them were from stories or drawings about them. What the average person knew is that they were wild, large, and dangerous. Hippos are still the deadliest animal in Africa for humans, and alligators or crocodiles still hold for us a level of fear because of their unique look, their strength, their stealth. The crocodile shaped the ancient imagination of the dangers in the waters the way sharks and movies like Jaws shape our modern imagination. The point of these two fascinating descriptions is to again point to the mystery of God's creative power. Here are these two great, massive creatures who are both majestic but also deadly. No ancient human could imagine capturing them or domesticating them, yet God has, for some unknown reason, created them controls them, and even delights in them. What a profound mystery is the creative power of God. Job's second and final response to God begins at chapter 42. God's demonstration of his creative power has had its effect on Job. He surrenders, confesses his ignorance, and ends his protests against God. He will simply have to trust God, knowing that many things about the divine action will always remain a mystery. At verse 7, the author includes an epilogue that helps resolve the story. First, God chastises Job's friends for failing to bring comfort, 
and instead saying with certainty more than they knew. God then restores Job's blessings and extends Job's life. I think it's important that we read God's restoration of Job's life not as a reward for Job's faithfulness, but as God's free decision to bless Job. So what do we take away from the beautiful and complex book of Job? Certainly, many, many things. Job, like all the wisdom literature, is meant to be revisited by readers again and again, looking for new insights and nuances that they've never noticed before. Kind of like Jacob wrestling with God, the wisdom literature is more interested in having us continue to strive with God than handing us simplistic answers to difficult questions. But that being said, this time through the book, there were several ideas that jumped out to me. First, through Job's friends, I think we learned that it's better to be present with those in suffering than it is to give to them overly simplistic answers or speeches to their complex questions and their difficult circumstances. I think the character of Job reminds us that many, if not most of us, will experience times in life when God seems absent or where life doesn't make sense. There will be, for many of us, dark nights of the soul when God seems absent and silent. The character of Job holds out hope to us that even in those times we can remain faithful to God. But his character is also a reminder that depression is not a sin, and that forgiveness of ourselves, of others, and even at times the forgiveness of God can be a long process of obedience in the same direction. I suppose we could read the responses of God to Job as a form of God simply saying, I'm bigger than you, Job, so maybe you should be quiet for a while. But I think it's better to understand God's statements as inviting us to offer what we have and what we know to the deep, mysterious, and creative work of God in the world. I don't believe that God brings evil and suffering into our lives so that some greater purpose can emerge. But I do believe that God is creative enough to transform even the most difficult and broken aspects of life into something beautiful and redemptive. Sometimes we associate the word sovereignty with God's will. For God to be sovereign means that God makes everything happen according to his will and decisions. Wesleyan theologians often prefer to think or speak of God's sovereignty as a sovereignty of love. That means that God does not necessarily control all things, but that God is able to keep moving and redeeming all things in the light of divine love and divine purposes. So at the end of Job, we don't get a lot of answers, but we do receive what Job received, the assurance of God's presence in our suffering and the hope that God's creative love will not let evil have the last word. We move on into the heart of the wisdom tradition tomorrow. We launch into the amazing book of Proverbs. We're starting with Proverbs chapters 1 through 3, and we're adding Psalm 70. I'll talk to you tomorrow.